Welcome to Risking Enchantment, a podcast about art, beauty, and the Catholic faith. Hosted by Rachel Sherlock. Hello and welcome to Risking Enchantment. For this week's episode, you've got myself, Rachel Sherlock, and joining me is Phoebe Watson. Hello. And welcome to our first episode of the year, 2022. Can't believe it's 2022. I know. We're recording this kind of mid to late January, so it'll be a bit later when this comes out. But I think we're we're hitting that stage in the year in which you're, you've lost that sense of it's a new year and you're suddenly just trying to keep yourself on track and all of your, your things are back in back in place, work is back. But and you keep writing 2021 instead of 2022 <laughs> and all your work documents. Yep, absolutely. But it is wonderful to be here and we hope you all had a wonderful Christmas. I hope you were healthy and safe and well. And yeah, I think Phoebe and I are... Th- still kind of vaguely in a sort of slightly festive mood we're still watching some nice tv cooking some nice food but we've then got like half the decorations still up yeah we've swapped out the christmas stuff we've gone now for a more kind of wintry vibe um, with the crib still up and yeah. some of it's still there because you know it's can candle mass is the second of february so we've still got a bit of time with the crib still I, christmas i still love praying in front of the crib i find it so powerful i know we've spoken about that before but yeah so we're kind of still vaguely in that area but like I said definitely the new year is in full swing and I think that kind of brings us on to what we were going to talk about today which is firstly to say neither Phoebe and I are really big new year's resolutions people (laughs) or like new year new you ideas yeah and I think some of it comes from the fact that if if you're if you're kind of surprised to hear that we're still vaguely in Christmas mode, you should not be surprised to hear that I categorically state that New Year's does is right bang in the middle of proper Christmas celebrations. We should not be taking up salads and giving up chocolates on New Year's Day. <laughs> the worst time to do it. That's what Lent is for. Exactly. You know, Lent is just around the corner. We can have all of our quote resolutions then. New Year's is it just feels like to me not actually a great time to be taking up a whole load of new things. It still feels like a dark time of the year. It still feels like a very cold time of the year. But I do think there is some merit in taking opportunities to reflect and to modify and to look at what you would like the year ahead to look like for yourself and and to even, you know, plan nice things. Like, what are the things that you want to see for yourself in the year ahead? And I think the closest thing that Phoebe and I come to as, like, a proper resolution, and you can tell that we're not very good at it because it's the same resolution every year. And I give Phoebe full credit for this one. She was she was the one who said it first to me, and I, I think it's so great. But there's a quote that is a very good quote for, like, centering and grounding yourself, Phoebe, do you want to introduce it? Well, it won't surprise anyone to hear that it's a C.S. Lewis quote. And it's from the Screwtape Letters. And it's where one of... um, The demon Screwtape is talking about one of his patients who is now in hell. And says that when he got to hell, he realised that he'd spent his life doing neither what he liked nor what he ought. Yeah, and so our resolution is based on on this idea of not spending our lives in this state. Like, like obviously it's the inverse, but I, I think a lot yeah. about like doing neither what I like nor what I ought. And if my life falls into that category, that's how I know I'm kind of going wrong. Yeah, so our resolution is to do what we like and what we ought. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, which I think is an excellent resolution. <laughs> yeah. That's all resolution should be, really. Because I think it strikes the balance of not just being so self-centered about, oh, what I want or like everything is about me. Because it does, it does focus you to do what you ought to be doing as well. But it still really affirms that I think a tendency that some of us might be surprised to learn about ourselves, which is that how little we spend our, our lives 
doing things that we actually like. Yeah, I think for me it's, well, if I'm not going to do something that I ought to be doing, I should be doing something that I like doing. Yeah. And genuinely like doing. And I think in this modern age, and we're going to talk about technology a bit later in, in a more full terms, but I think we all know how easy it is to spend a large portion of your day doing things that are just meaningless and just pass the time and you don't even notice it and you can't say that you really enjoyed it. You just do things compulsively or they sort of suck time out or something takes way longer than it should or all of these things that are very kind of characteristic of modern living. Um, And so in terms of why we thought this would make a good topic for the podcast is because I think the thing that you lose very quickly when you have all of your time taken up with these things is the time to actually properly enter into art, culture, even faith. And we are going to talk about faith, but I do think that the cultivation of a a really rich prayer life is tangential to this, but maybe like slightly too big a topic for us to get into for this this episode. Yeah, it's more important and there are better people to talk about it than us. So we're not going to talk about it too much. <laughs> yeah, maybe consult actual priests and religious people. Um, and, you know, good books and all of those kind of things. I'm sure we can give you plenty of recommendations if that's what you want. <laughs> but like I said, in a kind of tangential way, the space to actually enter properly into culture and into the gifts of beauty in the world. Um, And also, I think any of us who feels like we have gifts and talents from God in kind of creative areas, and to be honest, I think that covers pretty much everyone. I think creativity can look very different in a lot of different people. But anyone who feels called to share their gifts in, in any kind of way knows how difficult it can be to set aside the time to actually achieve that or to carve out time away from, obviously, in the, in the category of what I ought to do includes things like your job, your chores, your life maintenance. If you have a family, like, you know, taking care of your family. And obviously that is in the sphere of what you ought to do. And for some people that may actually form the, the, the largest part of what they consider their life's vocation. But I think there's also an element of, of taking the time to share unique gifts that maybe fall outside of those kind of big blocks of your life. Yeah, and I think those gifts are at least often something that we like to do. Yeah. Um, even if they're not exactly in the in the ought category at the moment. Yeah. But I, and I think also we're not going to talk that much about scheduling what you ought to be doing because that looks different for everyone and we're lucky in that we have comparatively little of what we ought to be doing compared to a lot of people. Yeah, I certainly think I could probably do more in terms of charity work, in terms of engaging with people. But yeah, in terms of the list of like, you know, we are single, both of us technically worth part, work part time, you know, the, the kind of demands of our schedule are, are very different to people who are working multiple jobs, people taking care of young children, people in very high stressful demanding jobs that like, Yeah, I'm certainly not going to be someone who lectures to anyone on how to manage their time in those situations. I've been in situations with more high stress jobs as well. Yeah. Or where I have taken on too much volunteer work or have taken on too much in general. And I'll maybe speak a little bit about that. But yeah, I I do think I (laughs) don't. Like I said, we can't even follow our own advice for our relatively simple lives. Yeah, I certainly don't have advice for people for their much more complicated lives. You've got a kid. Anything we say, take it with a pinch of salt. (laughs) Exactly. But I think what I will say is that and we discussed this a little bit. I do think for me, I find it relatively interesting and something I'm good at to be quite good at scheduling and in some ways with productivity. I don't actually think I'm like a machine of like hyper efficiency or anything, but I do, I, I, I find myself getting very overwhelmed unless I know exactly what I have to get done or if I don't write it down, I'm going to forget it. So um, one of the things that I do tend to do now as a kind of New Year's tradition, which is just the way it works with timetabling, is that I have a journal, a, a bullet journal, as they call it. It's not, I don't keep diaries so much, but I do 
have a notebook in which I have all of my to-do lists. I have a lot of the kind of ways I have of keeping track of everything I need to get done. And also some things of pleasure. I keep track of like the books I'm reading there, the films I've watched, the restaurants I've been to. Um, I know with some people, if you know anything about bullet journals, you can see them online and people are extremely fancy. And then other people are just like, oh, it's just a book of to-do lists. I kind of strike the middle at the start of the year. I'll set up a load of pages that are like, like I said, the books I'm reading and the films and that, that can take some time to put in place. But once I'm into kind of my monthly sections, I kind of just anything goes Write down the to do list, get your groceries on there, get your phone numbers that you have to call someone. I, I don't care whether it looks pretty or not. <laughs> um, but I've definitely found that it suits me and not other people. So again, it's not always something I recommend. It's definitely a personal thing. I'm it experimenting with it this year. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> but I really like it because it feels like a very human, tactile, analog way. I don't necessarily find reminders on my phone all that useful. Even like I have done some kind of spreadsheets with budgets and they're useful to a degree, but I do prefer to just have a notebook and like let that notebook kind of rule my life to a certain extent and I find it as like a like I said kind of a way especially at the start of the year to say you know what are what are the travel things that I want to do when are my friends birthdays that I want to make cards for like to me the bullet journal really does help with managing my time so that I can actually get around to things that I like at, at the moment, I'm experimenting with a kind of, they're called habit trackers, where I have just like a list of things that I want to get done. Some of them are like for every day. Some of them are so more of a weekly thing. But I just keep a check of, did I go for a walk today? Did I read a book today? Did I go to mass today? And to kind of try to achieve maybe seven or eight of those things every day. And it's really, really good at making me do those things. But it's interesting how I wonder about falling into the kind of trap of over-efficiency. I think in our world, efficiency is so highly valued. It's like, can you produce more? Can you get your schedule so tight? And it's almost like if you just so hyper-manage your schedule, you will achieve everything you want to in life. And I think actually we're going to make the point that that's not a very Catholic way of looking at the world, that over-prescribing and over-focusing on what is considered productive is not actually leaving space for humanity. I think I said just at the start of this that like, there was a time when I had just taken on too much. Like I was working full time and I'd taken on a whole load of volunteer work and it all sort of came at once at one stage. And this had happened a couple of times. It was like a cycle I was in for a while. And I remember getting to a stage where not even every hour had to be accounted for. It was like every half hour, maybe even every 10 minutes that like, I, I remember having to get to a stage where like, you know, I had to get a certain amount of work done before I got into work. I had to get a certain amount of work done on my lunch break for volunteer stuff. I had to get like everything was so accounted for. And I remember how dehumanizing that felt, that I just felt like a bird in a cage or something that like you were so over prescribed and so efficient. And I did get a lot of stuff done, but there's no part of me that wants to go back to that. <laughs> she was miserable and I hardly saw her. <laughs> Um, and like I said, it was just my, like, it was just a, a combination of bad planning and then also just bad luck that everything kind of came at once. But yeah, I think in some ways I feel like part of the modern world is almost prescribing that as that's almost like what you should be aiming for. It's like maximum efficiency. Yeah. If every half hour is accounted for, then you must be doing something right. Yeah. You're, you're living your life. You've got it all, you, you know, you're going to be so efficient and I think that's not actually the goal of our lives there is an article on the word on fire website called the lost art of intentionality actually I don't think I have the writer for this but anyway the quote says efficiency is portrayed as the consummate modern virtue 
get up early, go to bed late, multitask, double book, manage your time, juggle more. To race to the edge of a nervous breakdown without completely going over the edge is lauded as a noble act. Though your family feels abandoned, your health is in shambles, your your faith is a memory and your philosophy is cynical, you should be commended for getting everything done. And I think that's it is good for us to be reminded that actually that's not the point of our lives. And of course there's an element of it to be commended. We all have busy lives. If you manage to turn up for someone when they need it there, if you've managed to organise your schedule, that means that you get enough done that you can be be there for someone or provide something for someone. Of course that is a good thing, but I don't think we should ever mistake it for the highest good. Yeah, there's a balance where your schedule allows you to make time for the extra demands on you Mm -hmm. and the other things that God asks of you in a day Mm -hmm. um, because you've gotten certain things done already and you're not like oh I can't go pray now I have to go and do this yeah and I even find it with like tracking my habits that like it almost makes it too much like a game of like quick wins where Mm -hmm. If I am too focused on it, it means that I never give myself time for bigger things because I can always look at my schedule and say, well, if I spent half an hour now doing this thing, I'd be able to tick it off my list at the end of the day. And it's like, well, yeah, but it's less important that you listen to your audiobook a bit today than it is to get this bigger, more important task done. So if you're always like, if I can get, if I can manage my schedule so that I get all of these quick wins, because it gives me a cer- certain level of a, an adrenaline rush or a high to say, I achieved all these things today, then you're, you're still missing the point if you never actually give yourself the space to do anything more important than like your daily to-do list. Yeah, like the article goes on to say, efficiency isn't solely about managing a schedule, as Chesterton pointed out. It is a way of thinking, devoid of those pesky hangers-on like emotions and purpose and reflection. Efficiency crowns those steely-eyed, decisive, ice-in-the-veins analysts. Yeah, and I think that is really tied into that sense of it being kind of dehumanising and taking taking the humanity out of something you know it's so hard to get the balance right and I think balance and peace is something we're going to talk a good bit about but I think it is good to reflect on what schedules and actually keeping a track of yourself can offer you because it is so easy to let your day kind of go like I've definitely noticed that over my Christmas break that you think when you're busy, you think, oh my gosh, two, I even had three weeks off this, this Christmas that like, how much, how much leisure would I get out of those three weeks? And then you just find that the day just sort of falls apart because you don't have anything specific to do or anything to achieve. Yeah, we both brought home like a heap of craft stuff to do and came back up with none of it done. Absolutely none of it done. And now that the two of us are back at work, we're actually getting through a load of our craft stuff, you know, because we're like, well, in the evening we have time. But I I was really struck by there's a a writer called Annie Dillard um, who has this quote, which is how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. And I think... That's another one that really struck me of like, if you don't like your day to day life, then you're not going to like your life as a whole. And she goes on to say after that, what we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. A schedule defends from chaos and whim. It is a net for catching days. It is a scaffolding on which a worker can stand and labour with both hands at sections of time. A schedule is a mock-up of reason and order, willed and faked, and so brought into being. It is a peace and a haven set into the wreck of time. It is a lifeboat on which you find yourself, decades later, still living. Each day is the same, so you remember the series afterwards as a blurred and powerful pattern. And I think that's really true. I think that is how you can instill a sense of purpose into each day. But I do think that she maybe overplaces the powerful pattern because I also feel like you can lose your sense of your day if every day is so similar because it's all so scheduled and because it's all so much that every day you have to get your run in or every day you have to get a certain amount of writing done even. Yeah. 
if you're missing that sense of the flexibility of space and time, it almost, like I said, becomes this tyranny of efficiency. Yeah, I think it's interesting also that she calls it a lifeboat that you're still living on decades later. And I think that's also part of the problem, Mm. that a schedule is a good short-term solution. When, Um, When you need a lifeboat. When you need a lifeboat. But if you don't at some point get off the lifeboat and not get rid of the schedule but change the schedule Mm -hmm. um then you end up stuck on the same lifeboat forever yeah absolutely and i think there is a sort of need in our day and age to reclaim the lack of efficiency i subscribe to the slightly fox journal and they have a podcast and their their recent one was on literary idlers and i thought it was really fun but also one of the presents i got over christmas was from my brother who very kindly gave me the Fran Lebowitz reader, which is like the compendium of both of Fran Lebowitz's books. And she's just this, if you don't know who she is, she's sort of like a a social commentator, but she's very dry and very funny. And she's sort of very proudly idle. And there was one quote in here where she says that she was describing her schedule in a very comical way. And one of the entries is 3.40 p.m. I consider getting out of bed. I reject the notion as being unduly vigorous. I read and smoke a bit more. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think that that's in an age where there's such a like that was actually I think it was written in the 80s, but it's still resident now that like in an age where it's so prized to be efficient, that it's almost a virtue to be so idle and so inefficient and so unrepentantly leisureful, you know, I think. Cheston has an interesting point about it as well in that he talks about efficiency as being something that we focus on because we're ill in a sense Mm. that because we're lacking true productivity um or like true output he says when everything about a people is for the time growing weak and ineffective it begins to talk about efficiency So it is that when a man's body is a wreck, that he begins for the first time to talk about health. Vigorous organisms talk not about their processes, but about their aims. There cannot be any better proof of the physical efficiency of a man than that he talks cheerfully of a journey to the end of the world. And there cannot be any better proof of the practical efficiency of a nation than that it talks constantly about a journey to the end of the world, to the Judgment Day and the New Jerusalem. There can be no stronger sign of a coarse material health than the tendency to run after high and wild ideals. It is in the first exuberances of infancy that we cry for the moon. None of the strong men of the strong ages would have understood what you meant by working for efficiency. Hildebrand would have said that he was working not for efficiency, but for the Catholic Church. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think... It really plays into this idea of us losing the sense of life as a process of worshipping God, that it the goal of life becomes productivity or output or being a worker. I know Joseph Pieper in his book, The Leisure, The Basis of Culture, he talks a lot about this and how we need to reclaim reclaim leisure as a real thing, not just the absence of work and that real leisure is a celebration and in celebrating it celebrates God. He says, the vacancy left by absence of worship is filled by mere killing of time and by boredom, which is directly related to the inability to enjoy leisure. For one can only be bored if the spiritual power to be leisurely has been lost. There is an entry in Baudelaire, one must work if not from taste, then at least from despair. For to reduce everything to a single truth, work is less boring than pleasure. Ooh. That is really upsetting. That is very upsetting. (laughs) That we can be so detached from the meaning of our lives to get to a stage where actually pleasure is so unsatisfying that it becomes more pleasurable to work because at least at the end of it you have like some form of like I did this and he I I don't know if I have a quote for it but he talks a lot about how the worker mentality comes from a refusal to accept anything as a gift that we almost stake our pride on having earned something rather than having been given it that's really interesting yeah and so 
it just feels like we're caught between these these two kind of poles which are you know using a schedule to kind of eke out maximum efficiency in our lives to drive out a sense of leisure or a sense of peace and contemplation in favor of productivity and on the other hand like i said with the modern age i feel like idleness is so easy to miss out on its actual the kind of the goodness of the leisure in it in that it's just filled with vacuity and banality and and like we said technology that it just sort of passes without ever allowing you to enter into a, a spirit of contemplation or silence or quiet that it's just that even our even our idleness is so full yeah i think it's the difference between a schedule which allows you to direct your time to the higher good mm-hmm. without being caught in a trap of efficiency all the time. Yeah. Um, versus what you can have with a schedule or without a schedule, which is that constant demand to be efficient and get things done quickly. Yeah. And then you collapse into idleness and don't have any brain power to actually think of something nice to do. So you end up flicking at the TV or scrolling on your phone. And then you go back and do some more work. And try and get it done as quickly as possible. Absolutely. And I think so much of it comes from a fear of being present to our thoughts and to the reality of the world and the reality of the time. I know, you know, it's such a cliche, but it is such a powerful line in The Lord of the Rings. When Frodo says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. And Gandalf replies, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. And I don't think that's a call to productivity. I think that's a call to enter into the true call of the age, which comes from God, which means that we have to be open enough to receive what that call is and not to just presume it's to earn as much money as possible or to be as productive as possible or to be the most efficient worker or or even to reject all of that and to do nothing with your time and fill it with nothing absolutely it's also pinpointing the challenge of our present age which is to be in the present moment mm-hmm. and i guess it's the challenge of every age not to be caught up either in the past or in the future but to be present in the time that we're given yeah absolutely because it's only in the present that god is And so I think we were going to talk a little bit about, Phoebe, you have some examples of what a kind of redeemed version of both a schedule and even like a lack of schedule looks like. Sort of. Um, So it's looking at the idea of achieving peace as well. And in October, I went to the Isle of Wight to visit a friend of mine who's in a Benedictine convent there. Well, monastery, but a uh, um, female order, and just experience some of their schedule of the divine office. This kind of ties into the book I was talking about in the last podcast or the podcast before that. I think it was the podcast before that. Yeah, yeah. the podcast before that, which is in this house of breed, um, which is a book about Benedictine nuns. Which, for anyone who doesn't know, Benedictine nuns are a form of contemplative Catholic um, nuns who are shut away from the world and their job is to pray. Um, Well, their main calling is to grow in holiness, but their work is um, the prayers of the church, which are called the divine office. And it's about seven hours of prayer every day, maybe. (laughs) Maybe not quite that much, but easily. Close enough. Close enough, starting at quarter past five in the morning and finishing at like eight o'clock at night with like times throughout the day and I did not say the whole divine I did not join them for the whole divine office on any one day (laughs) because there are like seven of them and the shortest is 20 minutes the longest is an hour and a half Mm -hmm. um but the demand of that prayer like was just really telling like it's this really rigid schedule and there is time for everything but it is a limited time Mm. it's the nuns who are practicing it probably aren't watching the clock all the time 
but I certainly was. And even if they're not watching the clock, they're still always aware of when the next bell's gonna go because they set times for work and recreation and for for eating and you've got to be ready for when the next spell is going to go and everything has to be put down and you go off and pray yeah um and i think to me it was just really striking to see the difference like to experience the difference between you get this image of nuns in black peacefully walking through the cloistered halls into choir to pray like you know the sound of music yeah and like that's the perpetual image we have of nuns and we don't see the amount of work and discipline that goes into them being ready in time to process at a like nice slow pace into math and not run it yeah yeah so that's an example of a very very rigid schedule which as I think you said it's amazing how much work they do get done oh yeah but um, the, equally I don't think we could say that's the calling of everyone and especially lay people that like it does take a particular kind of vocation that that allows you to enter into that. Yeah, this is not something that's for everyone. I couldn't tack it. I think what Phoebe said was, I would grow to hate that bell. <laughs> I think I pretty much hated it after three days. <laughs> um, um, but yeah. that even within that, while obviously I don't think for lay people in particular that's necessarily their calling, there's certainly elements of that that we can incorporate into our lives. Yeah, and I think it's also important to understand that goal of peace because I think we hear the word peace bandied around a lot Mm. and we think that it necessarily means a form of like leisurely stroll or or Um, maybe like a a a guru sitting on top of a mountain like doing absolutely nothing except like silent prayer yeah and I think it's more to delve into the idea that there are different types of peace and this particular type of piece is one that comes with a very strict schedule. Yeah. I'm just going to read out a quote from the beginning of the book that delves into that idea of peace. The motto was Pax, but the word was set in a circle of thorns. Pax, peace, but what a strange peace, made of unremitting toil and effort, seldom with a seen result, subject to constant interruptions, unexpected demands, short sleep at night, little comfort, sometimes scant food, beset with disappointments and usually misunderstood, yet peace all the same, undeviating, filled with joy and gratitude and love. It is my own peace I give unto you, not, notice, the world's peace. Mm. And I think that's so telling as we try to balance our lives in this way, that it's not about thinking that we can achieve, like, the zen cam of having everything structured and everything then everything will be fine yeah but that different ways of doing things can lend themselves to different areas where we want to develop and that the goal is not to live in a way that shields you from unexpected happenings or interruptions like it's that said or even catastrophe like i think there's quite a few references in the bible to that that like that sense of peace that would carry you through a storm that like peace is not just the avoidance of upset and harm and all of those things that actually peace is something that should carry you through all of those things yeah definitely and i think a quote which really ties into what we were saying about efficiency earlier is um one of the main characters asked the question is it easier to be than to do Mm. as a challenge to someone who is kind of pushing for a more like active missionary approach and I think it's that challenge of setting aside time to be Mm. that we're also looking at which again also requires a schedule so that it doesn't get dwindled into idleness all the time yeah absolutely yeah and then the other form of peace that I wanted to talk about was one that you got to experience in September um, which is the peace of my family home (laughs) Yeah, and I certainly hope that everyone feels a certain level of peace when they're in their family home. And like, I certainly do. I feel, you know, you feel at home with the people who who raised you. Um, Hope, like, you know, please God you're in that situation. But I was amazed, like Phoebe talks a lot about this sense of peace with her family. And I just, on a certain level, kind of assumed it's just the peace that everyone feels at home. 
But when I went to visit your parents in September, like you said, it was amazing how their house does just radiate this sense of like quiet peace. Yeah, and I mean, it's a piece that I come and interrupt. (laughs) Quite clear. Like, it's also a piece that's gained by the fact that all of us kids have grown up. And it was still there growing up to a certain extent. But it's the piece of a kind of unscheduled discipline where there is a sort of schedule. Mm. Um, Like, my parents are much better better at getting up in the morning than I am. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, like, some work gets done... They stop for coffee and cake and do a crossword. And some more works get done. The, do- the dog gets walked. You know, lunch happens. Le- things just, like, happen without a fuss. Mm-hmm. And with this sense of abiding peace a lot of the time. And mm. it's a peace that is won by my parents having the discipline to take up their work without, like, oh um like to just go off and do it and then to put it down again mm-hmm. and come in and like make the time to do the crossword yeah and then go out again it, it's the it's like what i think your quote was saying there about the ability to set down your work is... yeah i've got a quote on that in the monastic piece that needs discipline as well discipline at the sound of the bell a speaker must stop well not in mid-sentence said dame claire but stop A writer must stop too, even in the middle of a paragraph. The artist must lay down her brush, the cleaner her broom or dustpan. And I think we've kind of lost some of that even with... In Ireland, it used to be very traditional that everyone would say the Angelus. Like, the Angelus still plays on our TV and our radios. (laughs) That that sense of... And it's almost a joke at this stage. I don't know if there's any kind of comparison to this anywhere other than Ireland. People who are Irish will know exactly what I'm talking about. People outside will find this amazing. But on the TV, and I still remember it, I think they only do it once a day now, but I think it used to be twice a day. They would play this little, like, video montage while a bell would toll for the Angelus. And the montage was always people pausing in what they were doing and sort of glancing up into the distance as if they were listening to the bell to presumably say the prayer but it's like all of this montage of like an old lady putting down her trowel in the garden or a teacher like stopping in the middle of a class to look and look up to the corner and pray and like I think I'm it's obviously I'm kind of making fun of it here I think it was really good I'm very in favor of it but in terms of just like that imagery is is so iconic to me that it's kind of funny at this stage that it's just so predictable in in the kind of like it's always they they update the the snippets every once in a while it's like a a different set of people (laughs) pausing from their work to to glance away i think it was also the sense in which it got it had become so separate from what you were actually being asked to do in that moment. Yeah. Like, the, instead of, oh, the bell is going, we'll stop and say the Angelus. Yeah. Like, oh, we'll watch what these, like, different shots are, and oh, that's our family home. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that, yeah, that this ability to stop what you're doing, to put it down, to say, I have done enough that I can in this time, and to say that that has to be enough. I think I'm really guilty of this in some ways of, like half doing the work and like and we we talked about this i think this can be done well i think it's also in at times a kind of crutch but to if you're listening to music while you're working if you're listening to an audiobook while you're working there are some things that you can do just as efficiently if not more efficiently if you have like something going on in the background if it's a very mindless task but there's a lot of things that i know i could be paying more attention to and probably get them done faster and more intentionally if i was just able to exist in that silence a bit more um and some of that's like our personal working setup at the moment is that both of us work for very different jobs and and companies but we sit opposite each other at the dining room table because we're still in the stage of working remotely so phoebe's on the phone talking about flood defenses and i'm trying to think about like publishing books or something so no wonder you need noise for cancelling headphones (laughs) so you know not all of it is just because i don't want to uh, exist in silence but i do know that it is like I think one of the things that your parents do really well is firstly, the discipline to keep their days really simple. Yeah. And then secondly, the ability to do them 
in silence when there isn't a need for sound. Yeah, and like, my parents will have music on occasionally, or my mum will sometimes have the radio on, but there isn't like a background noise most mm-hmm. of the time, and my parents live in the middle of the countryside. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, background noise is you can occasionally hear the wind turbines. Yeah. Like <laughs> or it, the cows. My parents live in the countryside, but we still live beside a fairly main road, so like, e- either we don't achieve this level of peace and serenity. <laughs> yeah. And I think then like the other side of it, like you said, the simplicity of like limiting what you're actually trying to get done. Some of that is my mum has health problems that mm-hmm. limit that as well. Um, but also by the end of the day, whatever has been done has been done. And you almost, like, as, as kids, obviously, we'd have been doing our homework in the evenings and stuff like that. But nowadays, when we go home, like, if there's something we want to get done, you get it done during the day, not in the evening, because the evening is family time. Yeah. Um, and it's that kind of stuff just gets put down. And what, like, if it wasn't done, well, it can be done tomorrow. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting element of, like you said, health problems and, like, you know, I've experienced it as well of, like, having to actually measure out how much energy you have. Yeah. And I think your family are just really good at saying, no, if I if I try to put more energy into this now, it will cost me the next day. Yeah. So it, it, there's no point trying to fill this one day with everything as possible because you end up disbalancing it another way. So you might as well just keep your work time to your work time and your rest time to your rest time. But but like you said, I think that results in a simplicity. And I think we've talked about as well in the last episode that some things call for extravagance and some, some things will interrupt that simplicity. And I don't think any one person, even your wonderful parents, Phoebe, have got everything perfect. Um, I think there is a sense of being up for the challenge of extravagance and up for the challenge of fuss and um, busyness and things like that. But that in that reign of busyness that like, I think we can so trick ourselves into thinking that we're supposed to be busy. And I have a quote here. I think it's, I don't know whether it's confirmed. I think it's attributed to Corrie Ten Boom where she she's reported to have said that if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and to resist that temptation and enter into a more simple scheduling of our lives. And I think actually silence is one of the key places that we're li- missing in our modern world. And it's so hard to know where the balance is, right? Like right now, you are listening to a podcast. And of course, I want you to listen to that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and we love listening to podcasts. It's why we have a podcast. <laughs> exactly. Or even like in the last month, Phoebe and I have been doing a lot of, which I consider a really, and I've mentioned this before, but a really, truly great leisurely thing to do, which is to listen to an audiobook while doing something like a jigsaw, or we were painting Christmas cards, or I do cross stitch, that like the two things don't take from each other and actually they kind of enhance each other to have this thing to do with your hands and this thing to do with your mind. And it's, to me, the kind of perfect balance of the two. Yeah, we did a Middle-earth jigsaw while listening to The Fellowship of the Ring. And it was... very extra. (laughs) It was glorious. So, you know, I think things like that are really good. And it's not just a question of saying, get rid of everything in your life that makes noise, but that to know yourself well enough to know when you're just resisting silence as well. Yeah, because I think tied in with that, one of the things that governs both of those examples is a lack of technology in general. Yeah. Um, And that's not just technology for its noise, but technology for its distraction. Yeah. Because my mom doesn't have a smartphone and the technology kind of gets shoved into the corners of the house (laughs) as much as possible. Yeah, and that it's this kind of, it is noise in the sense of, detracting from the presence you know I know Cardinal Sarah's book the the power of silence against the dictatorship of noise I've only read a small part of it I really want to read the whole thing it was very very good the bit that I read but he has a quote that says from morning to evening from evening to morning silence no longer has any place at all the noise tries to prevent God himself from speaking 
In this hell of noise, man disintegrates and is lost. He is broken up into countless worries, fantasies and fears. In order to get out of these depressing tunnels, he desperately awaits noise so that it will bring him a few consolations. Noise is a deceptive, addictive and false tranquilizer. The tragedy of our world is never better summed up than in the fury of the senseless noise that stubbornly hates silence. And I think... Like I said, I think that is almost epitomized by, you know, the social media feed. Whether that features actual, like you said, actual noise or not, I feel like it's like a textual noise or like a mental noise that it just sucks up so much time. And it is really hard to get the right balance. I know I listened recently to Born of Wonder. It's a podcast by Katie Marquette, another Catholic. It's really good. I'd recommend it. And that particular episode was, she was talking about wonder in a digital age and how to escape this tyranny of distraction. I always think of that quote from T.S. Eliot's Burnt Norton, which says, distracted from distraction by distraction, filled with fancies and empty of meaning, tumid apathy with no concentration. And that really kind of sums up our feeling of like, you're distracted by looking at your laptop and then you get another distraction from your phone. And then like, like, it's just, you just hop from one distraction to another and suddenly two hours is gone. And you think, how, like, how could I have spent all of that time? Yeah, and I think that brings us nicely back to the screw tape quote we started with. Yeah, yeah, because I think the the quote that we started with obviously is talking about someone who says they spent their life doing neither what I like nor what I ought. But the bigger context of that quote is talking about how when we make very small bad decisions, it makes us want to step away from God and fill that space with distraction instead. And so how the devil will use the smallest and simplest means possible to redirect us away from what God is calling us to do, that it doesn't take really big things. It can be as simple. And I don't want to, like I said, I'm on my phone. It's something I'm wrestling with. I'm not trying to make you out to be a bogeyman if you're, if you're struggling with how much you use your phone or your laptop or whatever it is. We're talking about this because these are problems we face, not the problems we've solved. Exactly. But to remember that it doesn't take big things to draw you away from what you're supposed to be doing. So he's giving the advice on how to treat this subject that they're talking about, the junior devil is in charge of, who who is suddenly in with a new set of friends and he feels slightly disconnected from his faith, even though he wouldn't have actually put it in so many words, but he just has this general reluctance to enter into it in the way he used to. So he says, you no longer need a good book, which he really likes, to keep him from his prayers or his work or his sleep. A column of advertisement in yesterday's paper will do. You can make him waste his time not only in conversation that he enjoys with people whom he likes, but in conversations with those he cares nothing about on subjects that bore him. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods. You can keep him up late at night, not roistering, but staring at a dead fire in a cold room. All the healthy and outgoing activities which he want him to avoid can be inhibited and nothing given in return. So that last he may say, as one of my own patients said on his arrival down here, I now see that I spent most of my life doing neither what I ought nor what I liked. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. It's it so good. It's so good. <laughs> I mean, just replace staring at the dead fire with staring at your phone and you've I, got most of our world's problem. I know. And I think you and I said that um, actually we almost feel like the dead fire might have fewer negative impacts than staring at your phone because the phone actually makes your mind feel like it was filled with something Mm -hmm. as opposed to I think on some level when you're staring at the dead fire you know that it's filled with nothing (laughs) 
Um, it's like the illusion of having entered into something rather than the reality of having not entered into it. But yeah, I think it's so telling. And so, yeah, that's that that comes back to, you know, maybe our, our February New Year's advice for people, which is to reflect on on their time and see like now I see that I spent my life doing in doing neither what I ought nor what I liked that you know if you're getting one of those like if your life is filled with things that you ought to do well at least that's something but if you manage to lose out on both sides of that coin you're really losing out (laughs) exactly I think it's such an important part for at least in my experience in terms of actually being creative because I've said this to you a couple of times which is that I not only need the time to write an article I also need the time to not write an article which is when I say that what I mean is that especially if it's something that I'm kind of wrestling with if it's you know there's some things that I I write in my life that are are kind of more perfunctory they're just laying down some basic facts about something but there are there are other things that are actually wrestling with concepts or drawing parallels that require a lot of creative thought Um, or even I've done some creative writing as well and I find that I have to give myself the space to dawdle to walk around and not listen to anything to think and it's only after having given myself enough time of that that I can really feel that I can sit down and actually produce something more complex and more creative. And I do find if I bring social media into that, all of that not doing the things time is totally spoiled because it's so much not emptying your mind out. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I found it really interesting um, in the book In This House of Breed that there's quite a lot of creative people in it. Mm. And some of them are nuns and like their creative outlet has to be governed by their schedule. And for them, they're going off off course and out of their vocation if their creative outlet starts eating into their call to pray. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But there's also a professional sculptor in there who is creating this new altar for the Abbey. And he he's supposed supposedly a world famous sculptor and is choosing to use a simple mallet and chisel rather than anything like electric or hand power or like properly driven mm-hmm. because it gives him time to choose a new wear and it's in that like taking the time to do it properly like even he's insisted on coming to the abbey to carve parts of it in place Mm -hmm. rather than just finishing it all in his workshop and sending it ahead yeah and i think that's just a really interesting reflection on what it means to give creativity the time it needs yeah particularly like there in there there's a balance of efficiency and creativity because he's still done a chunk of the work in his workshop and there's still parts that like were done there and then the bits that he really needs to do on site yeah are done on site like those two are always going to be in tension to a certain extent yeah but I think it's always worth reflecting on as well yeah I think it's always interesting to see how that kind of creativity comes into the space of schedules and idleness like I know there's some writers who I really admire who really swear by I think Flannery O'Connor would wake up and do a certain number of hours of writing every morning and then nothing in the afternoons and again she she had lupus so she was really restricted in terms of her health but that like you just have a schedule and I know when I was writing full time it was easier to write you do into a groove that like you're just used to it all the time and so as soon as you sit down it's a lot easier to get into that groove and so in that way like a schedule really gives you that space and time and that discipline it's that mental space to get into it but I find when let's say for example with me with writing isn't my primary thing that I do every day anymore and so I need to break away from my usual to-do list in order to re-enter into that kind of more creative space. And you can't take the shortcuts, like you said, or that like in our world, we're, we're constantly looking for technological ways to get around a beauty and adornment. And some of it is just that we've given it up. We're like, oh, our, bu- our buildings don't need to have beauty, beauty sculpted into them. They don't need to have, you know, like... <sighs> touches and finishes and all of those things there's a couple of dreadful buildings going up near us at the moment <laughs> it's really awful or but the the building directly opposite us 
is being conserved and in a really beautiful, careful way. And it's amazing to see the difference of what those two things look like. And so, you know, someone, I think it was my friend Greg who pointed out to me recently that like, really, it should be, we have all of the technology to do more adornment and decoration. Like you can have 3D printing, you can have laser cut, you can have all those things. And isn't it amazing that that hasn't resulted in a more democratic spreading of beauty? All it means is they get looked at and goes, nah, that costs too much. Exactly. So we used to be able to do it when it was harder to do. And now it's literally easier and cheaper to do it and we still don't do it. And so I think that really shows that you, you just can't actually take shortcuts with beauty and creativity. There's a quote from Martin Luther King Jr.'s on the three sicknesses of the US society. And I'll admit, I got this quote from the Born From Wonder podcast, so do keep an ear out for it. But he's reflecting on on this and he says, the second aspect of our afflicted society is extreme materialism. An Asian writer has portrayed our dilemma in candid terms. He says, you call your thousand material devices labor-saving machinery, yet you are forever busy. With the multiplying of your machinery, you grow increasingly fatigued, anxious, nervous, dissatisfied. Whatever you have, you want more, and wherever you are, you want to go somewhere else. Your devices are neither time-saving nor soul-saving machinery. They are so many sharp spurs which urge you on to invent more machinery and to do more business. This tells us something about our civilization that cannot be cast aside as a prejudice charged by an Eastern thinker who is jealous of Western prosperity. We cannot escape the indictment. This does not mean that we must turn back the clock of scientific progress. No one can overlook the wonders that science has wrought for our lives. The automobile will not abdicate in favour of the horse and buggy, or the train in favour of the stagecoach, or the tractor in favour of the handplow, or the scientific method in favour of ignorance and superstition. But our moral lag must be redeemed. When scientific power outruns moral power, we end up with guided missiles and misguided men. It really shows how our inability to enter into God's gifts and talents and creativity, actually, it's like the the failure to be a saint. It's that quote about saying, like, by by failing to live up to the calling of God, I, I fail to offer that to mankind and to God. Yeah, that has such rippling effects. And like we said, if you know, with the screw tape letters, murder is is no good. If if cards will do the trick, that's fine. That mm-hmm. it, it's funny how well, the power of nothing, and that by each of us relinquishing and buying into this this aspect of our modern lives, that collectively we're all missing this opportunity to create more space for the worship of God. Yeah, because ultimately that is what it's about. It's not about creating more space for creativity or efficiency, but more space for God. Yeah, if our if the result of your creativity is just vanity and ego, it's still part of the problem. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's maybe a good place to leave off. Just some thoughts and some um, reflections on, on the kind of ways that we could be looking at 2022 and what we want to do with it. And before we close out, though, we said in our book, on our in our episode on the classics, that we were going to take some messages and emails and kind of respond to them. So we're just going to take a few minutes to do that. We had some lovely messages. I I think we've collated them all. I'm so sorry if I've managed to to miss out on your your message here, but we do have some good book suggestions from listeners. So do we want to start? I'll actually start with one which I think actually came in before the episode was released, if I remember correctly, but it ties in perfectly. So I'll read it out anyway. Michael Wilson emailed in to say that he very much agrees with me on Charles Dickens and his use of humour. I am thrilled to hear that. I listened to Nicholas Nickleby over Christmas and I found it very, very funny. But he says he would suggest Martin Chuzzlewit as one of um, my favourite of all times. And then the Pickwick papers are his most humorous. So thank you so much for that message, Michael. I, I'm i listening to Oliver Twist and finding it a lot less funny and like a bit more 
difficult to get through, which is interesting. I actually found Nicholas Nickleby, despite being so much longer, an absolute breeze to get through. So I think it's been interesting to find out which are the humorous ones. I had heard inklings that the Pickwick papers were particularly funny, so that has confirmed it. So I will boost it up my list of Dickens to tackle next. And then uh, we had another message from Ben Stockerman. Ben is someone who I've met a couple of times. He's Him and his lovely wife Katie are friends of friends of mine. I think I've met them once or twice. They are totally lovely. Hopefully in the new year there will be more travel. I'll get to see them. We've got some baptisms and some weddings, which I suspect we'll be uh, seeing them at. But he's uh, I've, I've gotten lots of lovely messages of encouragement from, from the Stockermans. So thank you very much. But he recommends the late Gene Wolfe as a writer of modern classics. He says his works, both novels and short stories, greatly reward rereading. In fact, he often includes mysteries in his writing that require rereading in order to solve. His The Book of the New Sun is what stands out for most readers. If you're not familiar with it, I might describe it as a Christian buildings roman wrapped in sci-fi and veiled with fantasy, narrated by a torturer space emperor and written by the love child of Jorge Luis Borges and G.K. Chesterton. That sounds amazing. I had heard of Gene Wolfe. I know he was very respected in his area, even outside of being a religious writer, that people who read science fiction in general are consider him very laudable. So Yeah, I went to look him up and he was an industrial engineer, so clearly I had better go read him. Yeah, engineer, Catholic, all of these yeah. great things. So definitely one I want to check out. And then we have a message from Trish DeWald. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I always think whenever I'm listening to other people's podcasts, like, why didn't you just see if you could check how to pronounce it? And here I am doing the exact same thing. I'm very sorry, Trish. But thank you for your lovely message. You left a lovely long message. But you recommended Sigrid Unset. A lot of people know her from her Norwegian medieval sagas, especially Kristen's Laverne's Daughter. But she also had some shorter, more approachable work set in the 20th century when she lived, like... Ida Elizabeth um, and that all of her works have a wonderful realness to them and that she really understands people and that she was a convert to Catholicism and that she can write in a way that isn't all in your face or I'm a blatantly Catholic novelist way. She has a remarkable way of illuminating the complexities of the human heart like mixed motives or being deeply torn between people we love and doing what's right. Um, you've Sounds a- great. Yeah, you asked Trish had I ever considered covering one of her books. Absolutely, I have. I knew she'd written some shorter works and maybe I should try and get to those first. Kristen's Laverne's Daughter is 100% one I want to read. It is a very long book. I also have, I, I don't own a copy of it and I own a copy of War and Peace. So I've, I'm going to say I'm going to have to make sure I read War and Peace first and then I'll buy myself a copy of Kristen's Labyrinth's Daughter. But definitely one that I want to read soon and maybe I should pick up some of her shorter ones in the meantime. I think they sound great. Definitely. Um, And then Sarah Lutty on Instagram, again, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, recommended a book called I Am Margaret as a Catholic YA dystopian series and said that our recent podcast reminded her of when we were talking about the need for more Catholic authors and Pope St. John Paul II's call for artists and um, this particular book is by a Catholic author called Karina Turin, who has written quite a lot of YA that I'm looking forward to checking out. Um, She also references the P rating for Phoebe at the end, and we got great delight that this has become something that some of our listeners reference as one of our in-jokes. Yeah, that like there's multiple people now out in the world who know that who know that it's rated P for Phoebe. Yeah, and then finally we got some recommendations. Our friend Aoife suggested modern kind of classics. She, I, she's a friend of ours who's really good at reading modern classic books. We're more in the classic classic area, but she suggested Revolutionary Road, The Little Stranger, Any Human Heart, and Possession. I know Possession is by A.S. Byatt, who I know has written quite a lot of books and is uh, someone Aoife really recommends, and I definitely want to check her out. Yeah, I mean, we're looking forward to checking out all of those. Yeah, and so I think that is 
it for our letters and our messages thank you so much for reaching out it is genuinely such a pleasure to get those messages you're very kind and if there's anything else any of our listeners wants to write in about anything that struck you from this most recent episode you're more than welcome to reach out you can find a form on my website which is um, at rachelsherlock.com forward slash podcast there's a form at the bottom of the page to sign up for the newsletter and there's also an, a, a, an option to at the bottom of I think actually the homepage, rachelsherlock.com, to um, reach out and send me a message. Um, or leave us a review. Leave us a review, or you can reach out to us on Instagram, the Risking Enchantment podcast Instagram, and or Twitter, any of those kind of usual ways. Carrier pigeon, smoke signals, any of those things. <laughs> I'd love a carrier pigeon. <laughs> and we hope that you are having an excellent start to 2022. Oh, I almost forgot. We didn't do what you're enjoying at the moment. We didn't do what you were enjoying at the moment. So, Phoebe, what are you enjoying at the moment? Well, since you asked me first, I'm going to claim Lord of the Rings. That's perfectly acceptable. Like we said, we've been listening to The Fellowship of the Ring and doing crafts or jigsawing, and it has been utterly delightful. I haven't reread them in an awful long time, Um, so it's been great. And yeah, taking the time with the audiobook yeah. feels really, really good. I had to promise Rachel, because I'm reading it for a book club, but I had to promise her that I would not rush through it in any way. She didn't believe me, clearly, because she made me listen to the audiobook. <laughs> I, um, I volunteered, I volunteered. I, I have no regrets about that. Uh, for myself, obviously I'm enjoying that as well, but that might be a bit obvious. So while Phoebe has taken Tolkien... I'm going to take C.S. Lewis for once. We're going to swap over our favourite authors and say that I am in the middle of reading That Hideous Strength. Obviously, I don't know how it ends. There's still like 200 pages, so it could go any way. But so far, I'm really enjoying it. I'm finding it very, very good. So that is what... I have mixed feelings about that particular book, which is funny. It might end up being the one that you like and I don't. Exactly. So we're upsetting all the expectations here. Um, So... We now we have finally finished and uh, thank you again for listening and we will be talking to you again soon. Goodbye. Bye. This has been Risking Enchantment. Music by Kevin McLeod. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter with the handle at Seeking Watson. And you can find out more about me and the podcast at rachelsherlock.com. Thank you and God bless.